sometimes you hear a song that says exactly what you're thinking, but you can't say it and you can't somehow formulate the thought uh, into words. And uh, then you hear Zach Williams or somebody like that that captures the concept perfectly and puts it to a fun tune for us to sing along with. And that's what I think about when I when I heard that song. I said, ooh, there's so many cool Jesus stories we can tell. We can just match with that song. I want to be like that. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. And so that's the title for a series of sermons coming at you here this month of November. I love to read the stories of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know I'm old, but those stories don't get old. They're fresh and new every time you read them. I don't know how the Word of God does it, but it is true that you can hold it up like a gem into the light and look at it and go, I never saw that before. Those are the stories of Jesus. Um, I have read and studied them a lot like you, and I've tried to preach... I I get enthused when I get a chance to preach about the life of Christ because it's so authentic, you know, it's so genuine and so rich. Yet when I'm done, I walk away going, I didn't scratch the surface of the magnificence of that passage of Scripture. Um, May the Holy Spirit scratch the surface for you today as we dig into a story about Christ. Jesus was... Almighty God, yet He became a man of no reputation. He lived in heaven, but He was homeless on earth. He was King of kings, yet He became a servant. He was the creator of everything, yet He became a carpenter here. A carpenter who knew hunger and fatigue and temptation. As another song proclaims, Oh, what a mystery! Meekness and majesty. And that's what we have in the life of Christ. What do you think God thinks about you? How do you think God feels about you? Um, Would He be mad at you or ashamed of you? Or does He have regret, pity on you? Is He proud of you or is He frustrated by it? What do you think He thinks of you? If you want to know the answer to that question, just need to read through the Gospels again, and you'll see story after story of the magnificent person of Jesus Christ engaging people like you and me, and surprisingly, He likes us. I know. He knows us, and He likes us. It is an amazing thing. Uh, he, he takes an interest in you. He wants the best for you. He would love to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you or chocolate milk, whatever you prefer. Here, here's just some observations that I've collected over the years as in my reading and my study. And this is not exhaustive and it's not scientific and it's not greatly, uh, theological. It's just what I see in the person of Christ that I want to be like. This is who I want to be like. And here it is. With Jesus, everybody counts. You've heard that from me before. But it is amazing. With Him, everybody counts. He knows names. He knows history. He knows all about you. And He likes you. The second idea is that He was a perfect man, yet He attracted imperfect people. 
How does that work? Most of the time, we don't want to be with people like that. But Jesus didn't have any of those barriers. And here's the third idea that I find when I read the life of Christ. He hardly ever said no. Uh, He hardly ever said no to people. I'm really, I can't say it 100% of the time, but I'm struggling to find a time when he did say no. You can help me with that. But if you come to him with a request, he's probably going to help you. And then the fourth idea is that he looked past crowds and he took a personal interest in individuals. Somehow, in a group of people that were pushing up against him, he noticed one in great need. It's like that all the time. He he focused on the individual. Just amazing. And he was especially concerned about desperate people. Uh, The more desperate they were, the more comfortable they felt around him. On the other hand... uh, He received a very cold response from religious people. Kind of step back and look at that going, oh boy. Uh, Mark Twain said it like this. He said, having spent considerable time with good people, I can understand why Jesus liked to be with tax collectors and sinners. (laughs) Isn't that something? He captures it. Well, the sixth idea that I have is this, is that he looked past labels. He looked past labels into the heart of people. Man, I want to be a little more like Jesus and a little less like me. He ate dinner at the home of a guy named Simon the leper. Anybody want to go have dinner with Simon the leper tonight? Anybody? I mean, he broke all the quarantine rules of his day to have dinner with Simon the leper. How about that? And you've heard this before from me, but I stole this from somebody that says it better than I can. He comforted the disturbed and disturbed the comfortable. You'll see that in the story that will be before you today in just a minute. If you were comfortable, he kind of made you squirm. He pointed out these gently, these inconsistencies in your life. Still liked you, still loved you, still wanted to have that cup of coffee with you, but wanted more. And number eight in my observation list is that he he treated interruptions like appointments. I'm still working on that. Probably you are too. <laughs> it's like, I was going to do this and then this. and Okay, stop that. Go do this. And Jesus seemed to welcome that. He didn't get frustrated by that at all. And number nine, he caused a reaction wherever he went, and that leads me to these words that the Gospels uh, give these reactions that all seem to start with the letter A. The people were amazed, astounded, astonished, angry, or awed at at him after he left. They there was this all these A words, and then number ten, when he touched unclean people. He didn't become contaminated like you thought. You can't touch them because you're going to get what they have or you're going to become ceremonially unclean. No, he, he, they became transformed. He didn't become contaminated. They became transformed. They were different. Man, that's a cool thing. Well, here's the thing. The Scriptures call us to be transformed into the image of Christ. 
a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. we got a ways to go, don't we? Every one of us in the room. So I want you to just see Him in action. I just picked this passage of Scripture from uh, Luke chapter 13, verse uh, 10 through 17. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, I picked a different translation. I picked a New Living Translation. And this is how it breaks it down. It says it like this. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, Uh oh, you hypocrites! Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Well, I couldn't settle on a title for this message. So here's some of the candidates I kicked around. Oh no, Jesus comes to church today. Yikes. Oh my goodness. If He came, He would do something, right? It would not be business as usual. It would just be He would disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed, wouldn't He? Here's another one. When Fluffy takes priority over Aunt Wanda. You might get that later. Uh, We treat our animals better than we treat some people around us. Is that, are we in that crowd? Watch it. And then this one, uh, just a simple one. Jesus sees what I miss. I've been going to the synagogue all my life. I never really noticed that person there. Hmm. And then Jesus doesn't throw hurting people under the bus. Man, we slander, we complain, we make people a little bit less so we can be a little bit more. And then the other one that I picked out was uh, just released after 18 years. I settled on the theme, a little more like Jesus than a little less like me. That's where I want to be. The gospel writers make sure to note that Jesus did plenty of miracles on the Sabbath day. And every time he did it, it was like hitting a hornet's nest. It was a hot-button topic that was sure to get a reaction. Kind of like talking about politics at the Thanksgiving table. You want to raise Grandpa's blood pressure? Try that in a couple weeks. It's just a bad idea, right? But you see this great boldness in Jesus as he enters the synagogue knowing It's going to be controversial. Because by this time, the leadership in Jerusalem had 
issued their mandate that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, that he would be expelled from the synagogue. I mean, that was their social life. That was the place to be until they get kicked out of there. That would be devastating. Oh no. Jesus comes to the synagogue today. Oh no. Get ready for fireworks. As you read the Gospels, be aware. Because the Gospel writers always want to list the day, and they tell you frequently, it was the Sabbath. Ding, 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 lights go off, okay? Get ready, because the Sabbath, the synagogue, and Jesus are like trying to drive your car when there's a bee in the car. You're all, you, you're, you talk about a distracted driver, that's you. You, you get, the little, little bee just changes your whole life. The bee is gonna demand your attention. And you probably know the drill. The Sabbath day, Saturday, was a day of rest. It goes all the way back to creation. The Lord worked for six days creating the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, He rested. In the Old Testament, uh, there's a story of a man who was out collecting firewood on the Sabbath day. The law had just been given down. Moses didn't know what to do about it. The people didn't know what to do. What should we do? This man's breaking the new law. Uh, Well, he was executed. So, this is a big deal. Don't work. It's very serious. And God gave the day of rest to His people as a blessing. Cool your jets one day out of seven and you'll be better off for it mentally and physically. But, of course, they turned it into a sacred cow in, in the Talmud, which is the book of rules about civil and religion. Uh, there's an entire chapter devoted to the complicated rules about the Sabbath day. Let me just give you one. See if I can say this right. If a chicken laid an egg on Saturday, you couldn't eat that egg because it was a product of work. Right? That's how it went. But you could hatch that egg that was laid on the Sabbath day and let it grow up to be a full-grown chicken and it was okay to eat that chicken. Or you could hatch that egg that was laid on the Sabbath day and allow that chicken to lay eggs and you could eat those eggs from the eggs that were laid by the chicken that was hatched from the egg that was laid on the Sabbath so long as those eggs weren't laid on the Sabbath. You got all that? You got that figured out? There will be a quiz at the end and you will not get to leave the building until you pass it. Okay, even today the religious, the, the Jewish religious community has rules about what they can do on the Sabbath. Sometimes maybe you're driving on a, a Friday night or a Saturday down Maple Road and you'll see a lot of people walking. And those are friends from our Jewish community. They have rules about the Sabbath day even now. Uh, for instance, there's no writing, there's no erasing, there's no tearing, there's no business transactions, there's no riding of any vehicles for those 24 hours, there's no shopping, there's no using the telephone. <gasps> wow, how would you survive? Uh, there's no turning off or turning on of anything that uses electricity 
Uh, there's no cooking, no baking, no kindling of fire. That means you need to prepare your meal ahead of time, right? Uh, there's no gardening or grass mowing or doing laundry. The idea is that you prepare for the Sabbath so that when the Sabbath comes, you can rest and not be involved in those things. So that's the background of the first verse in this story. One Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. That's the background. Okay. And then this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God guy comes walking in to the synagogue and he bumps into all these Sabbath day rules. Jesus notices a woman who's been thrown under the bus for 18 years. And you know there's a bee in the car. You know there's going to be a confrontation. It's going to be a doozy. She was one of those invisible people. In those days, uh, women talked with uh, few men outside of their own family. That was a cultural deal. This was the kind of person that most people avoided. But that's the deal. Jesus sees what I miss. When you enter a room of people, it's going to be holiday parties coming up. And it's going to happen like this. And you guys are all going to be invited to different things. Who do you gravitate towards first? looking for somebody you know probably first, right? You're trying to find a comfort level. There's a bunch of people. You're trying to find somebody that you can connect with. I think when Jesus enters a room, He's scanning things and trying to find somebody that is lonely, that is different, that is broken, and He's saying, I'm going to connect with them. It's a status thing. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. And so here he comes, and he gravitates in. He's in the room, his eyes are scanning, and he, oh man, look at that dear daughter of Abraham. And in his knowledge, he already knows he's been like that for 18 years. How did he know that? That's a whole other question, but that's a pretty cool, cool thing to think about. Um, Growing up, there was a farmer who lived on the edge of our town. He spent his life growing vegetables to sell. And uh, always out in the fields. Always out in the fields. I and my brothers never saw this guy stand up straight. He always walked bent over. Terribly bent over. Not bent double, but not far from it. But boy, was he a hard worker. Uh, This woman had an extreme case of curvature of the spine. Anyone who's had back issues can understand, right? Oh, man, that's miserable. 18 years of that. If ever there was a candidate for spinal decompression, this was the girl, right? Get get this girl to the spinal decompression guy. Twice in the story, though, her condition is related to the work of Satan. Did you see that? Two times. And I'm happy to report in First John chapter 3, verse 8, John writes that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And this is one of them. Uh, that's a big, deep thing I don't want to get into today. But we don't attribute, attribute a lot of physical illness to an evil spirit. But surprisingly, the Bible does many times. 
This woman doesn't ask to be healed. She doesn't raise her hand. She is not escorted to the front by anybody. Uh, People with disabilities are not permitted into the temple area in Jerusalem. Somehow they're tolerated in the synagogues because this isn't the first time a, a person was healed on the Sabbath day in a synagogue. Still, it was an awkward situation. It might have been like this sign blooper outside a church that I saw recently. It says... We love hurting people. See, we love hurting people. Does that what that? We need a little. We love hurting people. How do you say that? Say that right. For our trustees just put a new sign out there for us, you guys. Thank you very much. Well done. We appreciate it. Boy, I'm glad I didn't put that out there. At least use a comma or something. Some anything. Put some punctuation in there. But man, it's like you read that gun. Oh, good. That's the church I want to attend because we love hurting people. I've got some in mind. Come on in. Man. Well, Jesus does what isn't done. He, he doesn't follow the order of worship. He just interrupts everything. And He asks her to come up front. And of course, there must have been an awkward silence. A bent over body shuffling her way to the front. All eyes focused on her and him. And just with these words, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then of all things, he touched her. Nobody did that. And she instantly straightens up and starts praising God. And God doesn't throw hurting people under the bus. He pulls them out from under the bus. Oh man, I love it. Last week... Uh, Keith Marshall went to the Buffalo Bills football game against Miami. Now that's not a big deal because 70,000 people went. But it was a big deal for Keith. He wrote these words on the Bills Mafia Facebook page. You wonder where I get my sermon uh, sermon stories? Right there, Bills Mafia Facebook. Amazing stuff. This Sunday, this is what he wrote. Starting last week. This Sunday, not today, but last Sunday, against the Dolphins will be my first game since the mid-90s that I'll be able to hear with two ears. I became eligible for cochlear implants for hearing. It's a long story, too long to explain, but needless to say, I'll be able to hear the game live and in stereo. I got seats around the 30-yard line, several rows up, so I'll be in the middle of the crazy cheering fandom. This may not seem like a big deal for you, you people with normal hearing, but this will be a huge experience for me I haven't had for almost 30 years since I lost my hearing. Go Bills! I can't wait to squish the fish. I hope that's still a thing, is what he said. (laughs) Then, I had to follow this guy. He went to the game. After the game... This is what he wrote. Hi all, thank you for your well wishes and celebrating my first game with uh, with two ears. Cochlear implant technology is amazing. When we got closer to the stadium, the sounds of the people tailgating was absolutely awesome to hear. It's been a long time. It grew louder as I got to the entrance, entrance being surrounded by so many people. It got louder when the bills came out. Once the second half started and the team woke up, the crowd got seriously loud. It was awesome to experience something like that for the first time, yet being distinctly familiar with it too. 
I had a great time. It was a memorable experience. I've tried to summarize it the best I can, what the experience was like, but I, I know I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Thanks for everyone who wished me a great time. My words just can't express it. Go Bills! And I was thinking, I read that guy's story. I was like, that's how every person that Jesus touched responded 18 years bent over double years of misery suddenly she can stand up straight do you think she had something to say wouldn't you like to sit around a campfire with that girl and hear her story oh my goodness well who couldn't be glad about that oh there's people that won't be glad about that because remember it's in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So the synagogue ruler, Mr. Dark Cloud himself, shows up. There are six days to work. Come and heal on one of those days, not the Sabbath. Remember, you better check your eggs and see which one was hatched or which one was laid on the Sabbath and avoid those eggs. That kind of idea. Instead of amazement, He was indignant. He was agitated. He was frustrated. He wanted to defend his turf and his ideas. And so the ruler made it clear, Sabbath rules come first, and the well-being of people come second. And the Lord has this different view. People come first, and the rules come second. There's one verse in the New Testament, Leviticus, that says, Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. There's 36 times in the Old Testament where God's people are commanded to love the stranger, to take care of the alien. It's all over the place. This is the heart of God. Jesus says, let me see if I got this right. Um, You watered your animals this morning before you came to the synagogue, right? Let me see if I got this right. Watering animals, okay. Helping people, not okay. Do I have that right? You know, concern for Fluffy the kitty cat or the doggy is commendable, but Fluffy should not take priority over Aunt Wanda, right? Aunt Wanda comes first. That's the Lord's order of things. So Jesus is kind and gentle to the one who's under the bus, but he's firm and strong with the authority the religious guy who is pushing the rules. And so I love his gentleness. He said, dear woman. Then he says, this daughter of Abraham. With Jesus, everybody counts. She's more important than the rules. More important than the animals. She's been wounded by the enemy. Held captive for 18 years. Why should she stay in this condition one more minute. Why should it be like that? Why not set her free from Satan's power by God's power among God's people on God's day in God's house? Let's do this. And of course, there were two reactions. Amazement from the people who were in the room that day and anger from those leaders who were humiliated by Jesus' common sense, very practical answer. And in their arrogance, they couldn't recognize His identity. They couldn't deal with His compassion. They totally ignored His power. 
Man. Uh, You know that we live in a world of labels. You receive a label, and it's hard to remove it. Whether it's true or false, once you get that label, it seems like you're stuck with it. And Christians have been given a label too. None of us like it. They're known as anti you know, anti-choice, anti-vaccine, anti-gay, anti-gambling, anti-something. Or sometimes uh, you're called extremists or violent or angry or extreme right-wingers. Or It's just ridiculous to be labeled like that. But sometimes we've earned those labels and hopefully most of the time it's just a point of view. Kerry Newhoff is a culture and church researcher and blogger. And this is what he said in a recent blog that I'd just like to quote for you. He said, I searched for the right adjective to describe the tone of Christian posts online that I've seen this past year. And the best one I could come up with was mean. What believers forget is that whatever you post, the world is watching the jab that you took at someone you don't like, the cynical, angry, sarcastic rant that you posted thinking that you told everybody what they needed to know. You know those posts, the ones that get commented on and shared because the Internet loves anger, right? I'm guessing it leaves non-Christians wondering why Christians are so mean. The unchurched are watching and they're connecting the dots. Time and time again, the world needed love and Christians gave a judgment. Man, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. A minister told this story I found hard to believe, but I thought it would be worth sharing with you. Uh, He said a lady who was new to the church came to a carry-in dinner, and she brought a plate to add to the carry-in dinner. It was on the table. And as she was going through the line herself to eat food, she was looking for the plate that she brought and she couldn't find it. And that's weird. And so she asked her, you know, in the kitchen I brought this plate of food and it's not here. I just want to make sure it's included and I want to contribute. And one of the ladies said, listen, I tossed it out. And she said, why would you do that? She said, we don't stand for cool whip around here. We only use real whipped cream around here. Then she said, the sooner you learn that, the better. (laughs) I wanted to reverse time, time travel back into that story and meet that lady and say, listen, the Clarence Church of Christ loves cool whip. Bring it anytime you want, especially if you have pumpkin pie to put underneath it. That'd be great. I don't know, you guys. I've been stuck on this comment by Philip Yancey for a few years now. You've heard me say it before, but I can't seem to get it out of my brain. He said, if grace is so amazing, why don't Christians show more of it? Hmm. Yeah. Paul taught that we've been lavished by the riches of God's grace. He talked about the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us. We've been blessed with this grace. That's what we're about. And so I quote Matt Steger, who said, Your church is the conduit of grace to your community, no matter how big or small it is. 
it's not what we're against, it's what we're for. We're for people who are made in the image of God. We're for that. And so that's why we do things like a trunk or treat event for Halloween or the Jesus prom coming up here or a food packing event or the Christmas giving project. Um, that's why we try to love people no matter who they are or where they're from. Trying to see what others might miss. Trying to see the invisible people. People who've been thrown under the bus, which is all of you. So I would encourage you as we close here, I can invite the worship team up. Um, next week I'll have some challenges for you I'll, I, to take home and try it for the next week. But just this week, I would just ask you to try talking to people that most other people avoid. I would ask you to walk into a room and look around and notice somebody who's sitting by himself and go sit with them. I would ask you to to uh, slow down and allow your agenda to be interrupted. Try treating your neighbor as well as you treat your pet. How about that? That's a starter. Try finding someone who's been thrown under the bus and try to pull them out from that. I've got a story I'll share with you in a couple weeks about that. Just amazing stuff is happening. Try being a little more like Jesus and a little less like me. How about that? Just try that. Let's try that together and try to represent the King. Now listen, you can't live a life like that if you're still living for yourself. You need to die to yourself. That's what's got to happen. You got your agenda. You got your things that you value. I'm telling you, if you can die to that, you can live a life worthy of Christ. And so I would just ask you to consider surrendering your priorities, your agenda, your life to Him. And trying to live like Him. We offer an invitation every week. We just say, hey, uh, this is the invitation the the Lord says, uh, die to yourself, take up your cross and follow Him. Repent of your past. Be baptized to wash away your sins. Rise up to live a brand new life in Him. If you'd like to do that, we would love to help you do that. We'd love to talk with you about that. Would you stand with me, please? If you'd like to make a decision, I'll meet you right down here in the front.